Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week, Theresa May plays her last card. This is a bill that is going to ensure that we deliver Brexit for the public. Europe goes to the polls in a week. You're in denial, the BBC's in denial, the Tory and Labour parties are in denial. I think you're all in for a bigger surprise on we, Thursday we have than you can it. even imagine. And there's more than one leadership contest heating up in Westminster. And that means I'm going to show him the respect that he's due. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me today as ever is Paul Wall. Hi Arj. Hi Paul. Rachel Wearmouth is also with us. Hello. Hi Rachel. And also with us is the Lib Dem former Cabinet Minister Sir Ed Davey. Hi Arj. Hi Ed. Right, first things first Ed, how many ovens have you got? (laughs) Um, We've got one. Oh no, two, two. And do you include microwave ovens? Because that's... Nah. Nah, 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 just ovens I think. Yeah, there's two. There was, Modest. De- there was a debate about this, wasn't there, with James Brokenshire's four ovens, whether they were double ovens or yeah. four I'm ovens. Clear. We or... used to have one, but we moved house recently. I forgot we got two now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay. Good on Chris- Good at Christmas. Yeah, well, it's good all the time, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I, listen, I don't want you, you to think that I do a lot of cooking, because that would be wrong. <laughs> I like cooking, but I just don't do it. That's what every bloke says. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's crack on. Um, the writing appears to be on the wall for Theresa May, with the Tory party circling its wagons ever closer around her. Um, she's just got out of a meeting with the 1922 Executive Committee, or the Men in Grey Suits. Um, Ned Simons, our colleague, is outside the room waiting to burst in if there's any news from there but so far we've heard nothing um the pm anyway has made what looks like her final move in the brexit saga by promising a make or break vote on her deal in early june let's hear brexit secretary stephen barclay's take on this i think uh, i think if the house of commons does not approve the WAP, then the barnier deal is dead uh, in that form uh, and i think the house will have to then Uh, address a much more fundamental question between uh, whether it will pursue and communicate on a new new deal option or whether it will revoke. Uh, Paul, Barclay said May's deal will be dead if it's voted down next month. Does it have any chance of passing? Well, the really strange thing is that the logic of what the government have been saying and every minister, not just Steve Barclay, is that actually... Um, May's deal is really the guts of any deal. In other words, you can't have any deal that doesn't look something like what Theresa May's hammered out with Brussels. So saying her deal is dead if the, the withdrawal bill goes down sounds kind of odd. And you're thinking, is that because Steve Barclay's a hard Brexiteer and he's trying to push it in one direction? Probably. But, you know, let's think about this. If the 1922 committee somehow manages to get Theresa May to do the uh, impossible and actually set a clear deadline for her departure... Who's going to replace her will have exactly the same problems, as we all know. So you you change the new leader, same old arithmetic in the Commons. And so 
in fact, in that arithmetic might be even worse with someone like John Ronson, um, Boris Johnson or Dominic Raab because Labour are certainly not going to be in any position to help them out, less so than they would with Theresa May. Yeah, they might be able to persuade the DUP that things could be a bit different. But actually, what won't change is Brussels' stance, I suspect. And so you can easily imagine a situation where, say, Boris Johnson becomes Tory leader in like three months' time. He'll probably have to request an extension to Article 50 beyond October, maybe into next year. He'll probably have to say, actually, yeah, I agree with virtually everything Theresa May's done, apart from the backstop. But can we talk a bit about the things you've already talked about? So then you're thinking, well, why bother? If you're a, if you're a Tory MP and you're going to get to roughly the same position, why bother with all this? So who knows? Um, Ed, another interesting thing Barclay said was that the choice if this deal gets voted down is between no deal or revoke, uh, revoking Article 50 and stopping Brexit. Do you think there's a Commons majority for revoke? No, and of course he's wrong. Uh, There are a number of options on the table which the Conservative government refuses to consider. Um, The Liberal Democrats have made it clear, yes, we want to stop Brexit, but we want the people to have the final say. And um, if the government was prepared to put a deal before the House of Commons, but link that to a final say of the British people, some people call it confirmatory vote, Liberal Democrats and I think almost all the opposition would vote for that sort of package. Um, And that's not being explored. Um, And so I'm afraid, uh, not for the first time, uh, people like Steve Barclay are trying to create a binary issue there's not a binary issue. And I think the Liberal Democrats, I think the SNP, I can be probably at least part of the Labour Party, you never quite know where Labour is on these issues, but at least part of the Labour Party, and some of the Tory party, uh, would actually go behind a package where it's potentially the Prime Minister, it's a deal, but it's subject to the people having the final say. Would they go behind that package with the Prime Minister in place, do you think? She's very opposed to it. Uh, well, uh, clearly someone's got to propose it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, maybe we can do an Oliver Letwin and take control of, of, yeah. of the Commons business and, and uh, a backbench group could, could propose that. You know, maybe the government for there be a national government. You know, there's lots of different uh, speculations in, in, in uh, Westminster at the moment. Um, but it seems to me if we really want to solve this, uh, I can't see any other way because we've been trying for three years. Uh, and the idea uh, that the Conservatives with the DUP and with some new leader, just as you were saying, Paul, are going to be able to stitch this together, I don't think that's likely. The only possibility is a stitch-up uh, uh, in you know, back rooms by between Corbyn and May, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. They're trying to do it because we all know Corbyn is a Brexiteer and quite a lot of the Labour Party actually support Brexit, so maybe that will happen, but then you've got other parts of the Labour Party who don't want it to happen. Um, and the only way it looks like it could happen was if one of the red lines are breached and then the Tories would not vote for it. So that Tory-Labour deal, uh, while it's still in play, probably won't happen. And if you can't do those deals, then it's either no deal, which would be an absolute disaster, and we've already seen there's not a, com- there's not a Commons majority for that, or there's a deal with a confirmatory vote. So there's a logic here, and some of us have been setting out this logic for some time, but the Conservatives don't seem to want to deal with evidence and rationality and logic anymore. I was just wondering, um, because obviously the Brexit Party's only policy is no deal, to leave with no deal. Um, And Emily Thornbury spoke this week, I I agree with you, that Labour's position is all over when it comes to to Brexit. But um, 
one of the things she said, which was quite interesting, is that no deal cannot be on the ballot paper. Um, but I'm just wondering if the Brexit party do win the European elections, as the polls say that they're going to, that gives no deal some kind of democratic legitimacy. So how do you keep no deal off the ballot paper? That's a good well, question. The problem with no deal is, what is no deal? Because um, it was, it's like the nonsense we had from the Prime Minister of Brexit means Brexit. And we've seen that there are 57 Heinz varieties of Brexit. And that's why they haven't been able to agree the type of Brexit. But I think you could apply the same logic analysis to no deal. Because what no deal really means is we leave without a deal and then we'd have to renegotiate all those other things that have to happen between Britain and our nearest uh, neighbours. It's not that we're not going to have any relationship with them. I don't think even Nigel Farage really thinks that. What the no deal people are saying is, oh, we'll have a stronger hand to negotiate if we, if we leave without a deal. They're just in cloud cuckoo land. They're just lying again. No deal is another complete lie to the British people. And Nigel Farage has done quite a few of those in his career. Could it come down to that, though, as Rachel said, a, a, a referendum on no deal versus remaining? And would you be happy yeah, would you, and confident would you go for fighting? That in extremis? Well, um, it's certainly what I, I wouldn't be keen on it, let's be clear. Um, I can see why there may be people in Parliament who will try to push that. And I can see your point about the Brexit party. I just repeat the point, what is no deal Brexit? Because it's, again, really uh, a fabrication. But so um, it was a literal, you know, we will leave on WTO terms. So something really basic like that on a ballot paper versus we will stay in the EU. Um, would that, I mean, at least you can imagine some Brexiteers might actually go vote for that kind of confirmatory referendum. Well, um, you know, you're getting a slightly ahead of yourself because yeah, we've, yeah. we've got to get the confirmatory referendum with an option of remaining as part of a package. Now, it, it, from the Liberal Democrats' perspective, if we can get that part of a package, you know, we and others will listen to the debate. I personally am very worried about a no-deal Brexit being on the ballot paper, even the form you say, for two reasons. First of all, it's still not clear what it means. It really is not clear what it means. And that was the problem of the 2016 referendum. We didn't know what Brexit meant. And I think having another referendum <coughs> where one of the options is not clear is not a wise thing to do. Um, and, but I will be confess with you straight up, I think a no-deal Brexit beyond on WTO terms or anything else is a disaster for our country. Uh, and one has to be very careful about putting forward something which you think would be a disaster for your country. There was an intriguing line uh, after PMQs yesterday from Corbyn's uh, spokesman, wasn't there, um, about the prospects of a cross-party deal of some description on the withdrawal agreement bill. Or whether or not they might reading. abstain. Yeah. That's what it came down yeah. to. And to be honest, I could tell from the body language and not from... I think it was just a bit of a cack-handed briefing. I could tell from the body language. A cack-handed briefing and from Seamus Mill? Surely I, not. We don't name the... the we can't He name. who cannot be named. We, yeah. I'm looking at your, like your body language, Paul. <laughs> that's, in, that's in Harry Potter, isn't it? He who shall not be named. Um, but whoever that spin doctor was, I got the impression that actually there's no way on earth Labour are going to abstain on second reading. I mean, I've talked to lots of people the shadow cabinet that they will walk through fire to vote against this second reading of the withdrawal bill you know well, hold on, are you people. sure this we, we've counted 29 times where the labor have whipped their mps either to abstain and therefore let a tory brexit package go through or have actually voted with the tories 29 times i know it was a good good advert this week you had. yeah <laughs> it, it was, i know well, it was a liberal democrat advert. we are basically saying as you know the european election <laughs> that if you want to stop brexit the only party to vote for is the liberal democrats but yeah, I mean, the whole point of this abstention or not, I mean, I, I don't think it's a runner from Labour's point of view because 
I made this point this morning, uh, actually, that, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's whole leadership depends on him not abstaining on things and on him opposing things. And it was in 2015, the summer of 2015, when the welfare bill came forward and Osborne put it forward that summer. Harriet Harman whipped the Labour Party yeah, to abstain. Well. The one, one of the few people who didn't abstain was Jeremy Corbyn. And I know that... Um, Andy Burnham, to this day, regrets the fact that he didn't oppose it because he felt the rot set in then. He was seen as like everybody else. And Corbyn had definition and then went on to win the leadership. So it's in Corbyn's blood not to abstain. He, he, Ed's right. Labour has indeed been abstaining on various bits of Brexit legislation, uh, various votes. But that's mainly an attempt to get party management. I think this is different. The withdrawal agreement bill is a flagship piece of legislation. On second reading is all about the principle of the bill. Last one on this, then, Rachel. What is Theresa May doing bringing this bill back? She's going to lose. By well, it. she's potentially playing for for time, hoping something comes along. I wonder if she's, in some ways, trying. If she doesn't get this, this getting Brexit through is meant to be her legacy. The the one thing that she leaves office having a, achieved her big policy. Um, and I'm wondering if she's trying to find someone to blame, <laughs> in a way, for it not happening. And um, the the talks potentially falling down. Her backbenchers not getting on board. You know, it. it to get an overall message across, I wonder if that's what the delay in part is about, if that's what the politics may be about. The blame game, very the blame interesting. Game. Well, I think <laughs> voters are going to have their own blame game next week. We're just one week out from the European elections. Uh, Labour and the Tories are expecting a drubbing. Uh, Tory former minister Crispin Blunt is seriously spooked by the surge of Nigel Farage's Brexit party. Let's have a listen. And this is where, in my judgment, we are going to have to come to an accommodation with the Brexit party. The Conservatives, as a Brexit party again, being very clear about their objectives, are almost certainly going to have to go into some kind of electoral arrangement with the Brexit party. Um, otherwise, Brexit doesn't, otherwise so Brexit doesn't happen. Uh, Paul, it looks like the Brexit party is going to top the polls, but can they be a long-term force? Well, um, I just I know we shouldn't look back in history for sort of guide for for the future, but 2014 Farage had a fantastic set of European elections. He topped the poll. It was again different party, UKIP, but you know he claimed victory rightly. He got more MEPs than anyone else. He biggest share of the vote. A year later, they were nowhere in a general election. Um, and Ed well remembers that general election like a lot of people not for the happiest reasons. Let me tell you. <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a you know, there was a Tory the Tories managed to manipulate their message so effectively and a year later to say that actually, look, we've had this coalition with the Lib Dems, you might as well and the Lib Dem the bits of the Lib Dem coalition with Labour fell away. A lot of Labour people were unhappy with that coalition. At the same time, the Tories managed to squeeze the, the, the UKIP vote and emerge with a majority. And so what's different this time round? Well, what's different is that Farage's Brexit party is a much slicker, more professional outfit, um, autocratic outfit, from very much from the top down from, from Farage. And you might say that's why it's been so successful, because he's had total control over the message. He's got some really impressive digital media people. Um, he also has some money, let's be honest. And I have to say, their candidates, we interviewed one of them this week. You know, he's a former special boat squadron, um, special forces guy who is an environmentalist, and but he just happens to believe in Brexit. He's the guy who's almost certainly going to win in the, in the southwest. I think he's second on their list. What an, an appealing kind of normal candidate. 
it's a far cry from the sort of you know ragbag and bobtail people that UKIP used to parade, even for local elections. So they've got their candidate selection really bang on, it seems to me. Some of them are, are a bit iffy. Some but, of them are definitely yeah, a bit iffy. But most so is their money. So but, is their money. But, and, and that's another question. But so far as it stands, the clear message, the professionalism, the candidates on the whole being appealing, um, is quite a contrast to something compared to, say, for example, the Change UK uh, party in this year election, who've virtually done the opposite. Their candidates have, have fallen out and defected Lib Dems this week, one of them. Um, you know, their message is even worse than Labour's, even though they're supposed to have a clear message. So I'm not saying that Farage has got a long-term future. I'm saying that he's made much more progress since UKIP, there's no question. The big question still remains, though, a general election. Really? Are people going to vote for Nigel Farage's party, let alone Farage, who's failed seven times to get elected? Ed, you, you were just mentioned there, you've kind of got direct experience of an election following a Farage surge. What was your experience of how that played into the election? That you, well, I'm not sure that, it was the, that he was the impact for the Liberal Democrats. No, but, but I think in this election, uh, what's becoming clear in the polls is a follow-on from the local elections where Liberal Democrats were clearly the winners. Um, it's now clear in the polls that people now seeing us as the stop Brexit party in a funny sort of way. And who'd have guessed this? It's almost you vote. If you want Brexit, you vote Farage. If you want to vote stop Brexit, you vote Liberal Democrat. Uh, and, you know, we are now ahead of the Conservatives. We're um, almost closing the gap. Well, we're closing the gap on the Labour Party. We're almost overtaking them. I wouldn't be surprised if you see polls in the next few days where Liberal Democrats have overtaken the Labour Party. Yeah, we're, we're, too, we're yeah. seeing a lot of Labour voters coming to us, a lot of lifetime Tory supporters back. Us. And I think it, Greens and Change UK, they're coming to us. So it looks like, you know, we could uh, possibly finish second. Who knows? Who knows if we could actually beat Nigel Farage? And that is, a, if you want to stop Brexit, that is your dream, isn't it? Uh, getting behind a party that actually has always been consistent on this issue, not just for a few months or a few years, but for decades. Really clear, really proud that, about Britain being in the EU as an internationalist, playing our role, taking our responsibilities seriously on climate change, on security and so on, as well as it being in the interests of British people. So we are absolutely determined to keep fighting to stop Brexit. Brexit. Yes, doing it democratically by giving the people the final say. And in these European elections on 23rd of May, if you want to oppose Nigel Farage, vote Liberal Democrats. The only person who will be smiling if you vote for other Remain parties is Nigel Farage. Well, there's also a lot of evidence that a lot of the Labour vote is going to the to the Green Party. How are you going to... Well, what is the evidence that the Greens are going to you? No, there's some of that. And I'm not disagreeing. That's what's on the polls show. And, and the Greens didn't do too, too bad in the local elections. But we were miles ahead of them. And we're miles ahead of them in the polls. We have a, a really strong ground operation. And, you know, um, uh, I have actually a really strong climate change message, do you think? We have a very strong... Like you're talking to someone who brokered deals at the European Union on climate change. I led the most ambitious side of the European Union ministerial table to get a deal on climate change, which pushed the Americans, pushed the Chinese to do far more. So we got the Paris Climate Treaty. That was Liberal Democrats in office actually doing the environment stuff, tackling climate change. And if you look at our manifesto for the European Union elections, uh, we have extraordinarily strong policies on climate change. And I think we have the experience to be able to put them in place. So if you get Liberal Democrat MEPs, and if we can win the argument to stay in the European Union, that is the best way to tackle climate change. And I say to my green friends, you know, if you want to beat Nigel Farage, I'm afraid your party can't do it. The Liberal Democrats can. And what a difference that would change British politics dramatically if the Liberal Democrats get all that uh, stop Brexit vote and we beat Farage. 
you're a home also to moderate Tories, aren't you, who, who, who are really quite remain. Um, is that one of your secret weapons that Labour will just never have, that you're a safe place? If you're a, you know, particularly southwest London, yeah. it's, it, you know, the middle-of-the-road voters have got a choice between Lib Dems and Tories in a lot of those seats. And we've seen big swings, big swings either way, as you know, in the volatility of the way that centre ground moves. Um, Are you convinced now that it's actually coming to you and it's going to stay with you? Well, the evidence is the local elections. Uh, Our analysis, I think it's borne out by some independent analysis, is that we took about a fifth of the Conservative vote in the May elections, which, of course, wasn't in London, but it was, uh, or Scotland or Wales, but it was across the whole of the rest of, the, of England. So a, a massive set of local elections, so pretty representative. And we were finding on the doorstep, genu- genuinely, lifelong Tories saying, we'll never vote Conservative again because they're letting down this country. They've made our country an embarrassment. They're undermining my business, some of them were saying. My, uh, I'm going to have to lay off people if this continues. And so those Conservatives were felt comfortable with us. They're certainly not going to go to to a Labour Party led by Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and, you know, they think the, the Greens are quite left-wing. So they're coming towards the Liberal Democrats. And I think that is our trump card here. Not only do we have that consistency on this issue of being pro-Remain and uh, wanting to stop Brexit, but we also can garner support from other the parts of the political spectrum. And when we've seen this extremism in our country, the extreme right, the extreme left... I think people are absolutely crying out for a party that's credible on Europe and actually can bring the country together. Uh, And I think if you come behind the Liberal Democrats, not only can we uh, stop Brexit, beat Nigel Farage, but I think we can begin to see the healings of divisions in our country, which, to be honest, upset me more than anything. Now, barely a day goes by without hearing a cabinet minister straying way outside their brief in the sort of wide-ranging speech that can only herald one thing, a Tory leadership contest. But there's another leadership battle going on in Westminster to replace Sir Vince Cable as leader of a resurgent Liberal Democrats. Um, one of Vince's last acts as leader was to approve a European election manifesto simply entitled Bollocks to Brexit. Let's have a listen to him explaining that now. Well, there's also something called humour, OK? Maybe as a country we've lost our sense of humour, but it is an attempt to put in a more pungent way what an awful lot of people think, actually. That we're just going to get past this episode. It's a real poke in the eye, isn't it, to the people who voted well, to use that kind of it, language? It's clear, it's, it's honest. It's an offensive word, isn't it? Well, some Did people... I don't want to have a sense of humour failure, but it is. I mean, there are, you know, wallflowers who, who get offended by this thing, but... Th- but Ed, what's going on with this leadership contest? Are you running? Well, uh, at the moment, uh, Vince hasn't stood down. We're expecting him to stand down and then people will make their positions clear. But, you know, I have known Vince for three decades. I've worked with him. He's a neighbouring constituency to mine. I've worked with him on economic issues. When he was Secretary of State for Department for Business, I was one of his junior ministers. And that means I'm going to show him the respect that he's due. Uh, and I'm not going to prejudge what he's, when he's going to say it and how he's going to say it. So, sorry, I'm not going to give you the straight answer that you oh, wanted to that question. Oh, we the exclusive on the podcast. But let him make his decision in his own time. Uh, I think what's great is that he's going out on a high. You know, he's led the party through a tough period, really tough period. He's shown great fortitude. Um, and I think the local elections, and I believe the European uh, elections on the 23rd of May, will give him something to be really proud of. Joe Swinson, A, is it inevitable that the next leader of the Tory, uh, Lib, Lib Dems, has got to be a woman? And B, did she make a big mistake, her only mistake, in not speaking up about Lord Renard? 
at the time and not taking action about it. Well, listen, who knows who's going to put their hats in the ring? Um, uh, I think there are some very talented women in our party. Joe is one of them. Um, but I think Joe would be the first person to say she should be the best person for the job. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, Joe is such a talent um, and a very good friend. Uh, and I think whoever wins, um, whoever wins, it will be uh, a strengthening of the party. You know, Vince has taken to us a really good position, building on some of the tough decisions that Tim had to take. Um, and, and I think the future for our party is uh, as bright as I can remember. And I wouldn't have said that a year ago. Um, but as the other parties divide and collapse and crumble, there is this massive opening. Uh, and whether it's Joe or someone else, um, you know, I am delighted that at long last people are looking afresh at us and realising there's talent, there's principle, uh, and we have the capacity to govern this country. You don't think you made a mistake on Renard? Um, listen, I don't know all the details. Okay. Jo also gave us a, an interview last week in which she said that um, she would be happy to see the Lib Dem- Liberal Democrats go into coalition again in the future. Do, do you have a strong opinion? Well, I mean, of course, in principle, um, Liberal Democrats believe in electoral reform, which tends to result in more coalition government. So if you weren't prepared to go into government, it would rather be hypocritical. Uh, and so that sort of pluralism approach, I think, is something that we should be proud of and encourage. Um, at the moment, with the current leaders and the current states of the Conservative and Labour parties, difficult to think we could go into coalition with either of them. Um, so, But surely they could offer you something in return that would make it appealing. Uh, listen, it's not about uh, what they can offer us, it's what we can offer the country. And uh, far too often people have talked about the Liberal Democrats in context of the Labour Party or the Conservative Party. I'm not interested. I want to talk about the Liberal Democrats for what we can offer, whether it's on our radical program on climate change, on political reform, on making investment in education the most important thing. Uh, There's a whole range of Liberal Democrat ideas which I think haven't had the attention they deserve. And I'm hoping that this opening up, including the leadership election, enables us to, to shop front our values and our policies uh, and in the context of us and what we can offer and not the others. I, I just have to say it, it's, it's remarkable that I realise it's so long since Vince Cable's actually smiled. You know, you're actually seeing pictures of Vince Cable smiling again. It's been a long time since that happened. <laughs> well, he's got, he's got something to smile about because the Liberal Democrats are, are doing well in the polls. And I, I need to ask just a bit of a trivial question, but who came up with bollocks to Brexit and how did that come about? Well, I think it was actually someone in our press team. Right. Uh, you know, we, we clearly are stop Brexit. But one of the things that's annoyed me in the last few years is the extremists, you know, uh, Nigel Farage and Jeremy Corbyn and people on uh, the right of the Tory party have managed to get headlines by saying, frankly, I th- what I think are outrageous things. And one of the problems for progressives and liberals who are real reformers, but, you know, sort of have a courteous approach to politics and who are evidence-based and reasonable people, sometimes people don't see our emotions and don't see our passions. And I am passionately in favour of Britain staying in the European Union because it's in my country's interest. It's in the interest of the people I represent. And I think a bit of passion in the words we use is completely the right thing to do. And Did anyone know, sound like a note of caution? Listen, I referred them to the court case in 1977 when uh, a shop uh, shop owner who was selling uh, a record by the Sex Pistols, uh, never mind the bollocks, um, was taken to court. 
by the police. And the judge at the time, 40 years ago, said that's a good Anglo-Saxon word for nonsense. <laughs> so if that's good enough for a judge in 1977, it's good enough for me. It's, Brexit is nonsense. Bollocks to Brexit. The Sex Pistols <laughs> manifesto. We normally have a quiz at them. We might well have a quiz at them, but I wanted to do a sort of quick Ed, Ed Davey quiz. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go Please on. Feel free. Is go it, on. In other words, is it true, Ed, that you were once approached by MI6 and got the tap on the shoulder? It is true. And what was that like? Was that an, a, a surreal experience? Well, it was a letter through the post. Really? And it said there are some positions in the civil service that are not open to competition, and we would like you to, to apply for them. Mm-hmm. So I went to this amazing interview in this big room, and I better not say where. I had to s- sign the Official Secrets Act, and I think I'm breaking it by telling <laughs> you. <laughs> I don't uh, think so. But it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, they grilled me uh, for two hours, and then they said, did I want to apply, because they were still happy with me as a potential spy, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, I declined. Uh, and I, I tell you why I declined, because um, it was t- tempting, I have yeah. to say, um, was because I was then really clear that I was a Liberal Democrat and wanted to have some role in politics. And the problem is, if you are uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, you can't tell anybody anything about it. Um, and I asked, I asked them a lot of questions about what one could do. You have to have a secret life for obvious reasons, actually. It's, it's really pretty obvious when you think about it. Um, and um, while I'm sure there have been former spies in British politics... Lots of them. Um, Maybe uh, even uh, your former leader. Uh, but there we yeah, go. <laughs> well, you know, who, who knows? Um, but, you know, as a, as a young man who wanted to sort of campaign on things like the environment, which is a passion of mine, uh, and education, I, I just thought it would get in the way of that path. But... Um, it was an interesting process. And I have to say, I have a huge time for the people in our uh, security services. Uh, I think we owe them a massive debt of gratitude. And is it true that you once worked in a pork pie factory? It is indeed, uh, for two weeks. For two, two weeks. weeks. I, I, it was basically a year, a year after in school university. I did a number of different jobs uh, in order to save money to go travelling. Uh, I travelled mainly in Europe. I went to Spain, to Salamanca, learned Spanish. Did put you off pork pies then? Uh, it did for quite a while, I would say. <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, it, do you want... Pork politicians love pork do, pies. Do you want me to... But did you want me to tell you what goes into pork pies? I don't think you do. No, God, don't say that. <laughs> well, but, like, when the students, the students... I was there for the student period, just before up to Christmas, when they needed you know, to increase the output. Um, the complaints about the pork pies went up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Here's the other bit of trivia, which yeah. I think I need to finally pin down. Is it true that Ed Balls borrowed your A-level history essay. Yeah, uh, well, was it yours or was it your brother's? Well, now that's a good point. They were as a mixture of the two because um, my brother was three years older than me and uh, he had the same history teacher, not just as Ed Balls and myself, but as Ken Clark. Well, this is at Nottingham High School for yeah. new readers, new <coughs> listeners who've not heard this. Uh, and uh, uh, the head, this, this history teacher didn't change his... <laughs> lessons very much over about 40 years uh, so handing down the notes was something that um, happened regularly so I did hand uh, Ed both my notes and my brother's notes oh, true. never gave them back by the well, way. Mr. True. Um, right now we've just about got time for a quiz, uh, this week's is on Liberal or Liberal Democrat party leaders since we're on the topic oh, so pressure is oh. on Ed I uh, thought I'd done my quiz <laughs> no this is the real quiz um, <laughs> There's three questions. Just chime in whenever you. He's think you've got, got an the right advantage. Answer. Let's be fair. 
What could we been just a, say right now? Because I've been around a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Are we going back to the 19th century? Yeah. No, it's all fairly modern. Right, let's crack, let's crack on. Um, in 2008, Tim Farron named his three heroes. Who were they? Oh, my God. God, that's, that's a, a bit tough obscure. One. Three heroes. Well, not no, it's Tim tends to like um, rock uh, stars, so there might have been a, a rock oh. star in there. Oh, um, I don't know which one. Oh, they're from County Durham as well. Uh, yeah, come on, you've got his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh God, what, I can't. I can't so at least I got the the career. But he got to meet him. I remember he got to meet is, him as well. One of them is a uh, punk singer. Oh, who clue? Would it be? It's not, it's not uh, Debbie Harris. Harry, no. Debbie Harry. No. Oh, go it's on. Not, it's, not it's not Johnny Rotten, that's uh, for sure. No, it's not Johnny Rotten. Um, <laughs> all right. I mean, this has been about yeah, for on. a while. So uh, we've got Clash singer Joe Strummer. Right. Okay. Former Liberal leader Joe Grimmond. Joe Grimmond. Joe Grimmond always and the author C.S. Lewis. Oh, wow. Oh, because the religious stuff, maybe. Yeah. Very, uh, very. Or the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay. Sorry, I fed on that one. Question maybe that was half too a, hard. Half a point. Yeah, this might be better. Who's the only permanent leader in the history of the Liberals and Lib Dems to have never fought a general election? Oh, isn't that Ming Campbell? Yes, got it in That's one. Nice. Yes, I'm amazed I, was, I beat him to that. You did. You know, I was his chief of staff for half of his time. So wow, <laughs> <laughs> I was only got there. I got there. <laughs> um. Who won the Lib Dem leadership by the narrowest margin in party history? Nick Clegg. Ooh, must yes. be Nick Clegg over Chris Hune. Yeah. Bonus that, that points was... for the sort of rough number of Ooh, votes. God, the, mar- the, the, the margin of a victory. Like 145? Was... I think it was by around 500. 500. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. so close, isn't it? Could have been a very different world, couldn't it? It really could. Yeah, right, uh, that's all we've got time for. Now, in a week where we found out Cabinet Minister James Brokenshire has four ovens, we'll just leave you with this from Liz Truss. But let's, let's be honest, the Labour Party is not what anyone gives a toss about at the moment. It's all about the race in the Tory party. That's what everybody is talking about. That's what you all want to hear about this evening. And you know, people are out there showing their wares. The race is cutting off. And, you know, I'm a great believer in politics that it's not really about what you say. It's all about the numbers. That's what counts. I'm afraid to say that I am struggling on that front, that I don't have a great deal of numbers and some of my colleagues have built up a huge, a huge amount. And I have to admit in this audience, and maybe somebody can help me here, I've only got one oven. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 